as uh, as Tom says, hey, look, it's number two Amazon writer Jeremy Scott. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. You tell him! You tell him I'm coming! Tell him I'm fucking coming! Hello! Hey! How's everybody doing? Yeah, hey, what's going on? Yeah. This is Recotopia, episode 27. Yowza. I'm Chris Atkinson. I'm Jeremy Scott. And uh, welcome, chat. You guys are dedicated, man. Hey, yeah, you guys, man. I see a lot of the same names a lot of the time. Sometimes, you know, there's an off and on person here and there, but for the most part, I see the I see the same same people. And uh, man, you you guys you guys love watching us. I don't know what we it is. We appreciate you. I don't know what we've done to deserve that, but um, it's because we're topless. It's because we're topless. Oh yes, yes, that's right. Um, but, uh, yeah, as, uh, as Tom says, Hey, look, it's number two Amazon writer, Jeremy Scott. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. I'm actually number three today. Number three. Who, who, who usurped your two spot? Oh, the crawdads. Cause we know that right Jeanette McCurdy over. is number one, but yes. But, uh, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't top, can't top that, you know, nope. so. Nobody's going to be able to top that. Anyway, right. um, uh, I'm glad everybody is uh, is here. Hope everybody's well. Uh, mm-hmm. The big recommend today is The Limey, Steven well, Soderbergh's limey. movie from 1999. Uh, you want to get us kicked off on some small recommends? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's weak. Let's recommend the smalls. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen here, folks. I'm going double movies today. I, uh, I don't have any recipes or drink combinations for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do have two movies, one highly rated, one not so highly rated, but I like them both. One I'll start with, Courage Under Fire. Ooh. Um, Denzel is always, always good. Um, but in this movie, he is incredible in a movie that is otherwise maybe forgettable um there are good performances but he is two three levels above everyone here he's playing um a soldier who in the iraq war gave the order to fire and accidentally killed his friend a friendly tank um they had done this thing where they asked everybody to turn their lights off so that they could identify who was who, and it was it was a mistake. Sean Astin is uh, his tank scope guy, mm-hmm. but Denzel gives the order, and uh, and not only does he kill a friendly, um, it was one of his best friends, mm-hmm. and that's the opening scene. And then the bulk of the movie is he's now back in the U.S. He's in a non-active role, um, likely because of this incident, um, <clears throat> and he's now charged with investigating the death of Meg Ryan's character. She's a helicopter captain, um, still in the Middle East, of course, um, because we're always there. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're trying to decide whether or not to give her 
uh, the Medal of Honor posthumously. She would be the first woman to ever receive it. So the uppity-ups uh, are really, really pushing for it. Uh, but Denzel uh, is going to investigate this properly um, to the point where he even gets removed from the case at one point and continues investigating it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also uh, dealing with uh, gripping alcoholism um, that his wife is aware of and also sort of aware of the limits of what she can do to help him. Um, there's a heartbreaking scene where he's drunk, sitting in the car across the street watching his kids play, and she comes out and comes over to him and says, I need to leave before the kids see you. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> anyway, it's a very Rashomon kind of movie because every everybody that he inv- uh, interviews that was there when this woman was killed has a different story. Um, some people paint her as uh, incompetent and, and indecisive. Some people paint her as ruthlessly aggressive and bossy. Um, where's the truth? Probably somewhere in the middle. And um, I don't really want to ruin any of the rest of it for you. Uh, I think it's a very interesting sort of mystery and way to go about uh, unraveling and unpacking this mystery. Uh, really skinny, dangerously skinny Matt Damon mm-hmm. in this movie. Yep. Um, you've got Lou Diamond Phillips, Denzel and Meg Ryan, Michael Moriarty, Bronson Pinchot. Um, it's just really solid. Ed Zwick made the movie, mm-hmm. uh, and you can find it on Amazon Prime. It's an 86 on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty solid that most of you will like it, but I think it's one of the top five Denzel performances of all time. Yeah, I I agree that that Denzel uh, elevates this movie, but I'm not sure it'd be so forgettable even if it wasn't him in it. Because I think overstated. I think it's I think it's pretty great. But Denzel, I think it's great without him. But with him, it, it's it's elevated. I don't think people talk about this movie enough. I think it tried to find this movie before it's like maybe out of print or it's just on dvd or something like that um Hmm. but uh but i I used to watch this quite a bit when it was on cable but you can see the poster they're still trying to make meg ryan into this like almost almost like a romantic comedy meg ryan she's dirty throughout most of the movie and she's got this husky voice and she's always like you know you there will be a reckoning mon and stuff like that (laughs) I didn't uh, realize you'd seen it this often. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it a bunch. Um, but uh, but yeah, this is a great movie. I it, it I think if we look at it now, Meg Ryan's performance is probably uh, going to be better, maybe in retrospect, because back in 1996, Meg Ryan was the America's sweetheart in all the like big romantic comedies. That was what she used to be in everything, and. Uh, when it when she showed up as this grizzled soldier this grizzled like you know whatever a captain or whatever it didn't didn't go over too well with a lot of people but i think if we look at it now it's it's going to be a lot different so yeah Uh, i think you're right yeah i love that movie um uh i watched in uh theaters uh uh the uh the horror movie bodies 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 Um, did they hit the floor they do hit the floor that is actually a part of it. Um, um, this is a completely different take on horror movies. And I really, I, I don't want to spoil anything really at all in this, but I can give you the real, the setup here. You have, you have, uh, two lovers, one that's, uh, two recent lovers, Amanda Lestenberg and the girl from Borat, 
uh, too is uh, they're okay. they're they started a a relationship. You see that early on. Uh, she wants to take her to meet her friends, but apparently she's she's been away from her friends for for some time because of a drug problem, and they're not really expecting her. They're going over to Pete Davidson's house, uh, who's having a big pool party and everything like that and everybody there every nearly everybody's coupled up with somebody uh except from except for like one one of the girls but uh they got they come over and uh they're they're just having your normal party atmosphere stuff and then somebody decides somebody comes up with the idea let's play the game bodies 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 and it's basically just you know someone is going to be picked as a killer and you know it's all secret some people are going to be picked as victims and then you have to like figure out who is going to be the killer um and this goes on this is this goes on for a, a round or two and then one of the people show up dead and actually dead and uh so they so you know it becomes your typical murder mystery type of thing who's the killer amongst them there's a lot of reasons to hate pete davidson in this movie because he is an absolute dick all the way through it um and there is like all sorts of like you know there's all sorts of characters who have different motives and different things but um but it's one of those movies that it's not going in the direction that you think it is and um and there are a lot of uh there are a lot of like modern day uh hang-ups and issues that show up and especially in a brilliant scene about two-thirds through the movie where everybody is is yelling at each other about certain things that's very like you could not come out with this movie and say 1985 or 1995 or something it's it's a completely different set of rules that especially young people are dealing with in this day and age Hmm. and uh and uh uh, it's a it it's kind of subversive in a way and i i really really dig where this movie ended up absolutely perfect i was not expecting this movie to be as good as it was hmm. um but I, I i i i highly recommend bodies 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 i don't think it did very well at the box office uh over the weekend but uh this is a lot of fun and i think jeremy this might end up being one of these movies that you watch seven or eight times and can't stop talking about it once you finally get your hands on it yeah i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm still i'm still not going back to the movie theater with any regularity um but uh actually i've been once in the last two years and that was to see the batman Mm -hmm. um but i've adjusted quite surprisingly well to waiting mm-hmm. and watching these things most of most of the movies that i want to see before they come out on blu-ray will hit i can go to amazon prime and pay like 19 bucks to watch it here at home and have a badass tv and yeah. so i've been quite fine doing that but this is near the top of my list already because of something uh, a couple other people have told me um so yeah there's also an excellent Frasier episode where they play this game of uh, murder where mm-hmm. one person is the killer and and then one people one person actually drops dead during the game <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> anyway true Frasier fashion everything goes off the rails um, <laughs> all right so bodies 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 goes on the list goes up high and, absolutely uh, 
I'm going to give you my second small recommend, and it is, I will tell you up front, a 54 on Rotten Tomatoes and not a great movie. Maybe not even a good movie, but I'm going to tell you why I like it and why I'm recommending it. Okay. This is Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Okay. Um, why do I like it? Chris Pine. Um, I legitimately think Chris Pine is enjoyable and great in everything I've seen him in. Uh, I even saw that stupid-ass movie where him and Tom Hardy are spies competing for Reese Witherspoon's heart or something. <laughs> terrible-ass movie. Yeah. But he was still charming. Yeah. Um, and this is a one-off Jack Ryan. The movie did not do well. It was poorly reviewed. Um, and so they never made any more, which is kind of a shame because I think he makes a really good Jack Ryan. Mm-hmm. I really like Kevin Costner's, like, a little bit shady CIA boss that you never completely trust. Um this is a uh, <clears throat> friend of the show, Kenneth Branagh, directed <laughs> yeah. and also co-stars as uh, the evil Russian tech monarch guy who's trying to sell the MacGuffin to the evil MacGuffin people. Um, he's <laughs> doing a, an amazing accent, and I don't mean good. Um, I don't know what. I guess he's trying to do Russian. I love listening to Kenneth Branagh talk in this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. I think it's worth watching just for Chris Pine's performance and Kenneth Branagh's speaking. Um, it's just entertaining. I like that almost all of it takes place in Russia, which is not common for a Jack Ryan movie. And I'm wondering, as I was watching this the other day, like, could they even shoot this movie right now? Like, I don't think Russia's letting Hollywood film crews in right now to Probably film not. in Moscow. Um, anyway, they actually film most of this in Moscow. Kira Knightley plays, uh, Kathy. They're not yet married. Um, but that's his future wife. Uh, and yeah, I don't really want to say too much great about it or good about it. Cause it's not a great movie, but I think you can have a good time if you like Tom Clancy stuff and you like Chris Pine. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, it's not even two hours long. It's like an hour and 40 minutes. Um, and so there, with all those caveats, uh, Jeremy recommends Jack Ryan. Shadow Recruit, which you can also watch on Amazon Prime. Yeah, that that came out what a couple couple years ago, two three it years was, ago. No, it was uh, 2014. Yeah. Wow, 2014. God, man, I don't my my time radar on movies is way off these days. I you you asked me about something that came out in the 90s or in the in the in the aughts. I'm like there because I worked at movie theaters and everything, and then like movies that came out past 2010, just I don't. I I felt like this came out recently. Like, like uh, I know that they came out with a, a Jack Ryan series recently too. So I thought this was like somewhere even around that. But whatever, twenty fourteen. Yeah, I'm a big Jack Ryan Tom Clancy book fan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I mean, I've read all the books, but I have not actually gotten to that Krasinski series yet. But they made at least three seasons of that. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it must have some value. Um, <clears throat> as a so, yeah. as an aside, uh, uh, with your Chris Pine love and everything, uh, I'm sort of that's why I'm I'm excited about uh, Don't Worry Darling and Florence Pugh as well because both mm-hmm. of those both of those people make me happy. Plus, that movie looks bonkers. Man. It does. Like, it looks super bonkers. I can't yeah, wait. To I see can't it. wait. <laughs> can't wait to see it. Um, okay. I uh, wrote down something else in the email. I'm I'm, I'm changing midstream, doing another recommend here of a movie I recently saw. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime, 13 Lives. 
Recommending uh, a lot of Amazon Prime today. Yep, yep. Uh, 13 Lives is a different kind of survival story that I have. It's 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 probably one of the most different of the survival stories I've seen. It's it's a lot of survival story movies, a lot of like rescue movies have some sort I don't know, there's something about them that's just a little bit off. Uh, I don't know. This movie is just thoroughly thrilling and entertaining all the way through. Mm. Uh, and it could be because the actors that are coming to it are just so professional. Like we know Vigo Mortensen and Colin Farrell as these. I mean, they're these are movie stars, but I don't. I, I don't think they've. Colin Farrell almost got to that point where he was going to be that glamour glamour guy or whatever. But I think he really just believes in the work, and you know, Vigo Mortensen does, and. And then you add Joel Edgerton, who is one of the most underrated actors yep. we have going today. Yep. Uh, um, but uh, this is about um, a, a Thailand uh, soccer team or football team uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, after a practice one day decide to go in this cave, which is ostensibly for tourists, um, but because of a heavy rain that comes in this cave starts to become flooded and they go in and they nobody hears from them for about four hours after they come out uh, before they come out before they go after they go in and this is they know that these kids are missing because this is supposed to be a birthday party that night and everybody's going to come out to this birthday party and uh, they find out that they're uh they're trapped in this cave and the the way of the uh the trying to find them is going to be a difficult thing but even if they do find them trying to get them out is going to be even harder hmm. um so they you know thailand sends in their own navy seals to go in to try to find them they they don't have any luck uh, and then a guy, a British guy who mapped the entire cave says, maybe you should try these guys. And these guys are played by Vigo Mortensen and Colin Farrell. Um, and, uh, obviously real guys, this is based on a real thing. Um, and, uh, they go out and they do these very complex dives into the cave. These, <laughs> it's, I can't tell you like how crazy this is to see people going into a deep sea dive while in a cave with all this like just tight spaces and just unpredictable things going on all around you. Um, uh, and so, yeah, of course they find the kids and of course they find them that find that they're alive. amazingly after a week. Problem is how do you get a bunch of kids who don't know how to dive to go back through all of this deep sea cave nonsense all the way back to the opening. And the, the problem is that's presented early on is that Colin Farrell, like when they find him, he's like, yeah, tomorrow we're going to bring in doctors and food and we're going to get you guys and blah, blah, blah. And Vigo Mortensen, after they get it back out of the cave says they ain't ever getting out of this cave. They're just, they're never going to get out of it. I don't, it's, it's terrible that everybody knows that they're alive because now we're just going to show them that they're alive and then they're going to die. Oh, Jesus. 
But Vigo Mortensen's character, and I'm sorry for not coming up with the having the real names at my fingertips. I just saw this movie, but these are real people, and I don't want to like uh, downplay their um, their heroism. But uh, Vigo Mortensen comes out with an audacious idea, and I will not reveal what that idea is uh, uh, for getting them out. It's so it's auda- to cut them up into little pieces and then put them back together once oh, they're outside. Shit, you just spoiled it. Ah, oh, damn. Sorry, everybody. <clears throat> you just spoiled it. Um, no, uh, it, it does involve them calling somebody they know, played by Joel Edgerton, to come out, who once is is informed of the idea that Viggo Mortensen has. He's like, no, no fucking way. No fucking way. Um, so this movie is just harrowing on so many different levels and so many different things can go wrong. And so many things are like up and, you know, just sort of uh, precarious throughout. It's a two and a half hour movie. Uh, so wow. you, you will need to carve out some time to watch this. It is fully worth the two and a half hours that you would invest in this. Uh, it goes by pretty quick. Um, you know, it, you, you get about an hour in and you don't care that there's another hour and a half left. One of these things that I love about movies like this is they come up with the plan. They tell, they discuss the plan. They discuss all the different things that, you know, that have to go, that can go wrong. A lot of the things that, uh, a lot of movies, a lot of like, you know, a lot of these kind of movies don't, will, will leave all that planning and stuff sort of on the cutting room floor because ah, mm. that's boring. No, it's not boring. It's always exciting to hear exactly how they're supposed to go through all of this. Uh, can't recommend it enough. Uh, wow. You probably heard quite a bit about 13 Live since it came out like two or three weeks ago or in 2014, for all I know, because, you know, <laughs> these movies. Could, but no, it couldn't have come out in 2014 because this this actual series of events happened in 2018. But anyway, great, <laughs> great stuff. Uh, so there you go. Awesome. All right. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that because honestly, a lot of these real life rescue movies end up being underwhelming and more TV movie like um, the ones that are based on truth. Like that one Antonio Banderas is in about the miners that were trapped. I watched oh, that yeah. and uh, I didn't enjoy that experience very much. Mm-hmm. This sounds both riveting and harrowing. Like some of these commenters in the chat i think it might make me claustrophobic to watch this but i'm still going to give it a try because it sounds rad yeah then you're asking if the mm. elon musk even shows up in this vi- in this movie at all unless i was sleeping during that part no there's no elon good. musk uh mention in this movie so good all, all right. right now we're ready for the big recommend the big recommend i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed you enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. sign up using code champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with BetMGM at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever remember to use code champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Tell them the big recommend's coming. <laughs> um, today, the big recommend is The Limey. 1999 Steven Soderbergh movie. Uh, this comes on the heels of Out of Sight with George Clooney, which I think was an unexpected hit. Mm-hmm. Um, the Limey was sadly the reverse of an unexpected hit. They spent $10 million on it, and they only made back 32 Mm-hmm. Which is a shame because it's quite an entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you uh, you start with Wilson. Uh, I guess before we even get into any of the plot, we should talk about the way this movie is edited, um, which is to I think induce an almost dreamlike state where he's on a plane. Then we hear him talking to somebody. Then we see him meeting that person. We just heard him talking to. There are several conversations that seem to take place in multiple locations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is done to sort of unsettle you and put you in a, well, not unsettle you, but put you in a, an almost dreamlike state. I think this character, Wilson, is on sort of an emotional bad drug trip. Um, <clears throat> he's been in prison for the last nine years, and his daughter was killed in a car accident recently, and he doesn't buy it. Mm-hmm. And so he's been a career criminal. He's been in prison his whole life. He comes from England, flies to the U.S. because somebody sent him a letter that basically suggested, uh, you know, you might want to investigate this. Uh, He goes to see uh, Luis Guzman, who was her friend Eduardo, and he goes to see uh, her other friend, Elaine, who's an actress. And again, it cuts back and forth between different settings for some of these I guess, interviews and conversations, but essentially he learns his daughter had a boyfriend named Terry Valentine. And so now he's got to go after this Terry Valentine guy. And he finds a warehouse because Terry Valentine was involved in, as a record producer with his main job, he also was involved in a drug deal on the side. So Wilson finds the warehouse where that drug deal went down and he goes in and starts questioning the people. He does not really have what you might call patience. Mm-hmm. Um, he is not exactly playing by any particular code or set of rules. He just walks into the first office. He, first of all, he cuts the fence to get into this property. Then he walks into the first office he sees, and there's a guy sitting there, and he's just like, what happened to my daughter? What do you know about my daughter? Who's Terry Valentine? And he just basically starts interrogating this guy, and this guy... His co-workers come over, and they basically beat the shit out of Wilson. Mm-hmm. They find his gun in his jacket pocket. He's bloody. They make fun of him. They make fun of his dead daughter. They whisper something in his ear that we don't even get to hear. It's that terrible. They're trying to make this guy feel weak and terrible. They literally drag him outside and throw him into the street, dare him to come back in and say, we'll be waiting for you, and then they go back in the warehouse. <laughs> I love this part of the movie because the camera's handheld but it stays right where it is mm-hmm. and Wilson stands up brushes himself off turns around pulls a gun from his waist in the back that the guys didn't know he had and walks all the way into the warehouse into the dark you see a couple muzzle flashes pop pop 
pop, pop. Some guys yell, hey, what the, pop, pop. And then you see this guy with blood on him come running out of the warehouse. And then Wilson walks out all calm. It's all still one shot. And he goes, you tell him I'm coming. You tell him I'm fucking coming. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I wonder how many takes they did of this, especially at the very end when he has this, because he, it's that, you tell him I'm coming <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just that, this just this thing that's just like being ripped out of his larynx or whatever when he's talking whatever so um yeah i do see in the chat i did want to mention the the timing of this is weird but apparently yesterday lionsgate announced a 4k steelbook of the yeah Limey is that's coming. crazy so if you enjoyed it on this view um keep your eye out on a, keep your eye out for it mm -hmm. uh so after the warehouse he and wardo wardo's like this reluctant associate like mm -hmm. the entire film he just keeps getting roped into doing these dangerous things and they're kind of using binoculars to spy on this guy's property and they find out he's having a party so they just said let's go to the party they pull up in this shitty looking car give the keys to the valet and they walk right inside and this is i don't think how rich people do parties i think generally you would have to have an invitation mm -hmm. um, but anyway they get in he starts investigating, sees a picture of his daughter on the wall. Um, later on, we find out he stole that picture. Um, daughter played by Melissa George. Who, Melissa George. Yeah. Uh, entirely in flashbacks. Um, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> they do enough suspicious stuff that Avery, uh, which is Terry Valentine's right-hand man, security chief, is suspicious of them. He sends a guard... A guard out to the deck, there's this deck pool, and this is in the Hollywood Hills, that basically is hanging out over this cliff that goes down into a ravine. And when we first get to the party, he walks out there with Eduardo and goes, what are we standing on? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's out there and the, and the creepy thug comes out to question him. And you see all this in the background. We're inside the party watching Terry Valentine talk. And in the background, you see Wilson headbutt this guard and throw him over the cliff. And that guy is dead. Yes. And then it's like, we got to get out of here. He goes back. He told Luis Guzman to get the car. And he goes back. And Luis Guzman is like, what did you do? What were you, <laughs> you may recognize that security guard guy because he's in Boogie Nights. He's the guy who pulls out the gun in the donut shop when Don Cheadle's there. Oh wow! Uh, and, oh uh, wow! And and, uh, and that whole that whole scene unfolds. Anyway, yes, go on. So they go on the run, um, but Eduardo yelled Wilson's name as they were leaving, uh, and Avery heard it. And so now Avery knows that this is Jenny, the ex girl, the dead ex girlfriend of Terry's father, who is on a mission. So he hires Nikki Cat, um, and his pool. <laughs> Pool hall slumming murderers for hire. Um, and uh, they are about to kill. There's so many times Wilson gets lucky in this movie. And I just don't think he cares. I think mm -hmm. he is going to do what he can do. And he's either going to succeed or fail. Mm -hmm. But Nicky Cat and his henchmen are right up on Wilson and Elaine. And they even say, stand back, lady, or whatever. And before they can shoot, they get shot at by... The DEA? Yeah, is, something like that, yeah. Who apparently have been actively investigating uh, Terry Valentine. So now the DEA takes Wilson and Elaine, and they throw them in this room at an airport somewhere. And I love this part, because this is where he tells the story about how his daughter 
didn't want him to go away to prison anymore. And if she would catch wind of him doing any schemes, she would pick up the phone and threaten to call the police. And it happened so many times. And she never called because she loved him too much. And it just got to become this sad joke for them. Then one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie, the DEA boss, without saying so, essentially says, we're not after Valentine. We're not going to stand in your way, buddy. Here's mm-hmm. a file with the address where he may have run off to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we only care about the drugs. We already got them. Yeah, um, and they're like out there burning them in the like air <laughs> airstrip or whatever. By the way, DEA guy played by the legendary Bill Duke, who you've yes. seen in a million different things. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and so now we have the big showdown because Terry or Terry uh, because Wilson knows where Terry is hiding. It's in Big Sur, um, and. Again, he gets massively lucky that the very night and time he decides to raid Valentine's house, Nicky Cat and his partner have gotten pissed off and decided to double-cross them. And so there's a lot of gunfire in the dark that for a while you don't know who it is. Mm. You might think it's Wilson. Uh, but it turns out Nicky Cat and his buddy take out like two or three of the people that Wilson will have to contend with. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And uh, it all ends in a big finale on the rocks on the beach as Valentine's running away and breaks his ankle with the bone fucking sticking out and he realizes yeah. he can't go any further. I love that scene on the rocks because he Valentine is walking so gingerly because the rocks are dangerous. He even proves it by breaking his ankle. But Wilson is not. He is confidently and quickly striding over those rocks because he doesn't care if he breaks his ankle. Mm-hmm. And finally, Valentine starts begging for his life saying... It was an accident. She called. She picked up the phone. She was threatening to call the police on me. And I couldn't have her do that. And so I was shaking some sense into her. And she hit her head on the wall. And that's what killed her. And hearing this story absolutely breaks Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, connecting him back to his own experiences with his daughter. And I think Wilson knows she was never going to call the police mm-hmm. probably because she loved this guy just yeah. as she was never going to call the police on him. And that almost makes Terry Valentine's behavior and actions worse. And yet Wilson still walks away and it mirrors the story. He tells the DEA agent um, when he thinks he's in trouble, he goes on this rambling story about, listen, I'm not a vengeful guy. And you know, when I was in prison, this guy, you know, he was mean to me. And, and, and when we got out, I saw him on, and, and I had a chance. I could have gone over and beat his ass, but I didn't because mm-hmm. I was done with it. I'd moved yeah. on. And that's what's happening here at the end of the movie is he's saying, I'm done. Now, I have talked for quite a bit, and I obviously love this movie. Chris, what are your thoughts on watching this movie again? Uh, and, and this is not going to be my... Uh secret double feature although it would be a great one and yes it would be it's a it's me cheating and and coming up with a <laughs> secret double feature that's not the secret double feature but uh it reminds me a bit of jackie brown because uh because mm. jackie brown is about a, a bunch of people who are advanced in age and like people are saying you can't do this and that anymore and and uh and uh you know the it's it's sort of a reflection of age and in this movie 
you know, you have Terrence Stamp and they and Soderbergh constantly reminds us of the younger Terrence Stamp by yeah. showing us footage from a movie called Poor Cow, which mm -hmm. is actually the just the flashbacks, uh, the flashbacks to what we're, we're supposed to believe his character is throughout this whole thing. But it's very I've seen this technique done a few times before where they get that old movie. I think they did it in a Michael Caine movie recently, too, where it's like they just go back and let's just find some movie nobody knows and put that as the flashbacks instead of trying to do that de-aging thing that's so crazy uh a lot of times but uh you have peter fonda in this who of course you know made his name uh an easy writer uh for the most part and then you have barry newman who plays avery whose vanishing point was his big mm -hmm. his big movie and you have these three stars from the 60s and 70s here all in this movie in 1999 who are uh who are all who are all the major players of this um uh yeah, I I uh I love I love a lot of scenes in this, especially the one that you mentioned, the the un, unbroken shot where the camera's just outside the whole time. That's a that's one of those uh great moments. Soderbergh was definitely sort of in this experimentation with editing all the way through this. Out of sight has that great Jennifer Lopez, George Clooney thing where they're at the restaurant yeah. and it keeps going back and forth between them at the restaurant and them at the in the bedroom later and so on and so forth. He was doing this all through this period. Uh, the Limey seems like sort of an experimental movie in between the uh, Out of Sight and then Aaron Brockovich and Traffic, which come out mm. the following year. But Aaron Brockovich and Traffic also are doing all those like crazy yep. editing things. He doesn't get back into the mainstream really until Ocean's Eleven comes out the following year. Even Ocean's Eleven has its has its little editing quirks. Yep. So. Uh, I love that editing at the beginning because you're always trying to piece together where this is in the movie because he's on that plane and you're like, okay, is this before or is this right. after? Right. And you realize it's after like well deep into the movie. It's like you don't even realize that, that you think that plane, that plane ride is the first thing. But it's really well after all these all the events of this movie happen. Um, and uh and so, yeah, uh, I really enjoyed that. And, and, uh, and, uh, Louis Guzman, man, I, I, he used to have, he had a heyday there where he was in everything. I don't know if yeah, he's he in everything still today. I don't know if he's popping up in like a lot of, he doesn't seem to pop up in a lot of movies that I've watched lately, but God, I love that guy so much, especially back in this era. He's always like just he's just always this kind of guy you want to be best friends with louis guzman in yeah. everything that he's in i yeah. wasn't leslie ann warren is another one that you don't really expect much in this one like you know I, i'd seen her sporadically through the 90s i guess and i don't know i can I think she was in color of night maybe um mm. i don't remember if that was if that was the last thing i'd seen her in before this but um but uh yeah um I, I the 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 main draw of this is just Terrence Stamp. Uh, yes. Terrence Stamp is just it, he's great in everything. I don't think there's anything that I've ever seen him in where he doesn't command your attention. And I love his character in here. the The scene where he is imagining killing Peter Fonda like yeah. three or four times at his own house and like how audacious that would be, yeah. and like he's gonna do it. 
He until is. Luis Guzman says, no, 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 we're not going to do that here. We're not dude. doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I, but I love how, like how many times he imagines, like how many different ways he can d- get away with this shot. He doesn't care if he goes back to jail for this. He no. doesn't care. That's the thing about characters like this. When they don't care, there's a, it, when there's a sense that you he can do anything at any moment, there's something exciting about that. When there's and 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 there's nothing that's not to be that's nothing against a movie where somebody does have something they have to worry about if they if they go through with this plan or anything. But I I think there's something freeing about mm. watching Terrence Stamp in here being his full being full on his Terrence Stampiest uh, since Superman two probably. Yeah. Um, uh, that, uh, that, that's really freeing and liberating to watch because he just kind of, you're just like, boy, any moment this guy could just pop, just shoot somebody. You don't even know because especially that scene that we've been talking about that unbroken shot, he gave zero fucks about what happened yep. there. Yep. So yeah, I, I really like this. I'm, I, I, and I'm not saying I'm, I think I may have liked this a little bit less than the last time I watched it. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is. I think there's just something a little, just maybe a little something missing in, in this movie. It does feel like Soderbergh is like, just kind of like experimenting a lot in this. Like he doesn't really know where it's going himself or whatever. And he's just kind of like, cause there's some real free style stuff in here. When he just lets Nikki cat go through that whole spiel when they're at the, um, the, the movie production where he's yeah. just allowed to say whatever at, 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 at any moment, Nikki cat yeah. saying the most vile, disgusting things possible. And, and it's just kind of like a comedy riff. You're just like, what is this? What, what is this part of the movie? I don't get it. Yeah. And the, and apparently in the, uh, you were gonna, you're probably going to bring this up. I, I, we both still need to see this. The commentary between Soderbergh and the writer of this movie apparently is hilarious because they're arguing about things all the way through the commentary. And that scene where they're arguing about the sliding scale comes up too. Yeah. He's like, I didn't put this thing about the sliding scale in here. And Soderbergh's like, I'm trying to build a character here. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but it's this dude who's just he's not even important to the story basically he's just and we're arguing about sliding scales and stuff like that so there's a lot of like looseness to this movie even though it's an hour and a half it's there's a lot of like okay some of this i'm getting on board with the other parts are kind of just extra you know like i don't know i don't know if that's quite working but overall no i i don't dislike this movie or think it's just average i do think it's above average and i still i still very much like it so when I when I have time, I try and check IMDb and do some research on the movies we're talking about. And that's a few things I found out about this movie I wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. In addition to the fact that that commentary, if you can get your hands on it, apparently is hysterical. Like at one point, he, the writer complains again. And Soderbergh apparently just goes, Jesus. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. Actually, I, the, the first thing I read was that the commentary track actually starts and and three different people are talking about completely unrelated things. And after a few seconds, it cuts off and then starts again. And then start doing the commentary. Um, It's crazy when they do artistic things with commentary tracks. Like, yeah. uh, The, the, the first one that I ever saw that heard that did this, I remember going through the commentary track for the usual suspects. And this was on laser disc at the time. 
<laughs> there was a point in the credits where Christopher McQuarrie and Brian Singer start talking. Singer's like a lot of people ask about the ending of this movie, and then like something overlaps over what that he's saying there he's like yeah yeah sometimes the people in the the ending some to represents to people this and then it, and as it, as he's about to say whatever that is it overlaps another like piece of commentary track they never give you answers which is what you're really looking for right you're really wanting to know all the That's different funny. you know but anyway go on that's go funny yeah uh peter fonda uh tells a story in this movie to his new young girlfriend uh about a motorcycle accident he had that nearly killed him. Mm-hmm. It's a great story. It's also a true story. Yeah. That actually happened to Peter Fonda. They scripted a completely different story and filmed the scene with him doing the screenplay story. And then they filmed the scene with him telling one of his own stories. And it was so much more authentic. They decided to keep that. Yeah. And then there's also a part near the end when they're about to get raided and they realize Peter Fonda and his buddies, they realize, Oh, we're going to get shot at and everything. And Peter Fonda starts to go to the back and, Somebody says, hey, how come you're never scared? And he says, I learned to skate when I was a little boy. And it's just his whole his whole character, the whole movie, is kind of this beatnik kind yeah. of. Yeah. But that was a complete ad lib. Like, that was not in the script. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that line this time through, I was like, that's such a great line. Yeah. Um, and it just shows how good Peter Fonda is. Mm-hmm. That he's able to do that kind of thing. Peter Fonda right. was having a little bit of a renaissance during this, a, a, a tiny renaissance during this period of time. Because he was in Yuli's Gold around this yep. time. And he got nominated for an Oscar for that. So uh, it, it was fun. And, of course, he was in Escape from L.A., which was not a renaissance kind of movie. But <laughs> um, Yeah, I think... Uh, for the sake of time, I think we've we've said enough about uh, the limey, and uh, it seems like most of you enjoyed some of it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, but let's hear what the super secret surprise double feature is going to be for this week. Be very very quiet. Secret? What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. <laughs> It's uh, it's funny. One of the one of the initial movies that I thought of what is mentioned here in the comments uh, in the uh, the chat. Polly says payback was one. I actually thought about that uh, very briefly for this being a double feature. Um, uh, a couple of uh, Soderbergh movies are also have also been suggested. Out of sight and uh, Logan Lucky. Of course, anything. I think almost any Soderbergh movie works well as a double feature with one of his other features. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, obviously, uh, one that came up during this was Taken because Taken is so you know uh, Liam Neeson going after trying to find his daughter and all this. And I was trying to really think of. A, a a movie that where the character knows the person is dead already and they're not trying to solve a real puzzle or anything mm. they're just trying to get revenge mm. and everything um and another movie not in the same vein not in the same thought process that i thought of was pig uh pig has oh. also got this kind of like you know um you know like let's and pig would have been perfect i actually was settled on pig for a while but then this movie popped into my head that i had seen i haven't seen since 2007 um it's directed by james wan uh one of his few non-horror non-superhero type of movies um uh called death sentence it stars kevin bacon um uh and uh and this is a story of of a father who uh 
he goes out to see his son uh, in some uh, – I don't remember what sport he plays or whatever, but uh, they go into a gas station. Yeah, the gas station gets robbed, and his, and his, uh, his kid gets killed uh, when they're in the gas station. And so for the rest of the movie – uh at first he at first it's uh all about the justice system the justice system fails and so he goes off and does his own vigilante shit and uh starts trying to track down everybody who was involved in the robbery one by one and uh starts to start killing them and everything of course uh, as soon as he starts uh doing this himself he's endangering the rest of his family because now he's known as uh, you know, his face is known and everything like that. So it goes back and forth that way. Uh, hmm. Death Sentence. Now, Death Sentence did not get good reviews. I believe it said it had 20% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's a 6.7 on IMDb. So in hmm. general, people like it that watch it. And I remember watching it on a Thursday night thinking, yeah, this is not that bad. And James Wan is a good director. He's really good. I, I, I don't think he's a, I don't think he's made movies quite to the excellence that he himself is. Like, I think he's a better director than the movies that he makes a lot of times. Mm. Um uh but the, you can see a lot of stuff in Death Sentence that's like like really cool and everything. But I haven't seen this movie in fifteen years. For so for all I know, this is a terrible movie and this is a terrible choice and you should just not listen to what I'm saying at all. No, I have not seen it. Um mm. but from what you're describing, it sounds like a really good pairing with the Limey for sure. Mm-hmm. Um so uh good pick. I I think Pig is a sneaky good pick too, even yeah. though I'm not as high on pig as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly didn't dislike it. Um, <clears throat> all right. What is next week's homework? Next week is a movie that I've only seen once, um, mm. but I remember enjoying it, and I want to revisit it, and I want people who've never seen it to be exposed to it. The movie is called Dope. Uh, came out in 2015. Um I remember this being, this is one of those movies where there's a lot of hilarity and even absurd hilarity in it, but it's also got a lot of drama to it. So it can be kind of like, you know, it can kind of like wrench you in in a couple of different directions at once. But I remember this movie being really, really good. And so I want to revisit it. And I Mm -hmm. hope that, uh, I hope that those of you who haven't seen it get a chance to see it. Uh, I can't wait to talk about this movie because it's not one that I've seen like hundreds of times. So, yeah. uh, so it's one that I remember liking. Just kind of want to let's revisit that and see see if it if it still holds up. Uh, I seven am years intrigued. Later. I have not yeah. seen this. It's an eighty eight on Rotten Tomatoes, a seven point two on IMDb, mm-hmm. and it's available on Netflix for all of you listeners. If you yep. have a Netflix subscription, at least an American one. Uh, you can watch this uh, before next week's show, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Dope. Yeah, yeah. Um, Zoe Kravitz, Forrest Whitaker. All right. Yep. All right. I think we have time for a couple of questions here. Yeah. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Um, best aha moments in film when uh-huh. a character realizes or deduces something. This is inspired by Tom Holland's Peter Parker sensing the goblin before the goblin appeared, even though he was cheating because of Spidey sense. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, one of my favorite is just because of the way it's acted. 
I didn't like the illusionist all that much. Like I didn't, especially in a year where the prestige came out, like that's the, the competing magic movies essentially. But did you ever see the illusionist? Uh, yes, I absolutely did. Uh, did you like it? I loved it. It's just, uh, it has the uh, misfortune of being in the shadow of the prestige. That's the thing. I think, I think I need to see it out of that shadow to like appreciate it. But there's a scene where Paul Giamatti figures out what happened during the movie what how did ed norton do all the things that he did in the movie and paul giamatti is like sitting there like like they they, they have the camera on him and he's like doing all these like facial expressions like oh okay i get it i get it and like they go back to the flashback and he's thinking about all the things that he did to get to this point and it just he's and paul giamatti is like not only to the point of like that son of a bitch but like actually respecting him it seems like by the end of it like oh my god you son of a bitch and uh and uh uh so i love that aha moment at the end of that movie uh also in mission impossible similar tom cruise mm. talking to john voight and john voight's trying to give him a line of shit about what's actually happened and every time john voight says this is what happened Cruz thinks of what actually happened in his in his mind and ends up coming up with the idea you know he's he's finally come to the conclusion that john void is behind it all i love that aha moment as well yeah that's good well we recently talked uh the spanish prisoner on this uh show mm -hmm. and campbell scott's realization in that movie that the the feds were fake and stole his process because he the first thing he does is he calls he calls the feds line and gets a male officer instead of a female by the name he knows. Then he calls the he calls another number. I can't remember exactly what the second call is, but then he takes the notepad off the phone and starts flipping through it, and his face is just ah. Mm. And then another one I wanted to mention is at the end of Sneakers when yeah. uh, Ben Kingsley's on the roof and thinks to open up that mm -hmm. box and sees mm -hmm. that it's empty, and you get that famous James Horner boom, yeah, piano yeah. rush that gives you chills. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, it is. All right. <clears throat> was there ever a movie that you guys thought was going to be boring to sin, but you ended up having fun sinning? Hmm. Um, how did I answer this? I don't even remember how I answered this. <laughs> uh, go ahead. I will uh, give my answer while you look that up. Yeah. Morbius. Morbius mm -hmm. is my answer because from what I had heard of Morbius, and I knew that there were memes and that it had been put back in the theater, but I was expecting boring bad, mm -hmm. not batshit insane bad. Mm -hmm. And this movie is off the walls bad. Like it's every bad idea they had got filmed, and I was just <laughs> expecting to be bored. Uh, so I had a lot of fun sitting. It's <laughs> like so the thing about nuts. them having two sheets of paper there, one with bad ideas and one with all good ideas, <laughs> and they just shot the ones that were on the left side. You know, <laughs> get rid of all those good ideas. Yeah, exactly. Um, the one that I thought was going to be boring, because you you sit there and think, oh, the time and the era in which this movie was made, you're like, you're not going to be able to come up with anything, but it turns out that it's surprisingly easy and fun to do. And I think you remember this too. Cinderella was really yep. fun. And I yep. thought that it would be boring to do because it's an old Disney animated movie. So innocent, so pure. How are we going to send this? And it turns out, pretty easily and pretty fun funnily uh that movie so. is 30% mice <laughs> yeah yes yes it is yes it is so oh my god all mm -hmm. right uh, let's do one more and then uh, we'll wrap it up mm -hmm. 
What classic actor or director would you like to see make a movie with modern tech and budget? Imagine what guys like Charlie Chaplin or Orson Welles would do today. Yeah, um, uh, David Lean, who uh, who was the big like big production director of all, like one of the biggest you know big production directors of all time. Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge Over River Kwai, or Bridge Over River Kwai, these kind of movies. I would love to see what he would do with uh, today's budgets and and everything because he would make these movies bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, yeah. Although, although the the studios may uh, tame him a little bit uh, in that department, so who knows? Maybe he maybe we're glad we never saw David Lean in the '90s and you know on and later on. Uh, another one would be Fritz Lang, who did Metro- Metropolis. Um, uh, Metropolis is such a, a a good technical movie on its own. Uh, way back when, uh, I would like to see. I would like to see what Fritz Lang would do. Of course, Fritz Lang was also one of those directors who was like, like notoriously like nearly killed people or did kill people when he was uh, running set. So. Who knows? Uh, but uh, I feel like with more money, he he would be able to do a lot of things with a lot of imagination, and uh, I think that would be fun to watch. Those are very good answers. I also thought Orson Welles was a very good answer because you just watch Citizen Kane, and he's already pushing the boundaries of what the current tech can do in yep. that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, my main answer here is Bruce Lee. Um, yeah. In his prime, I think that modern stuff like Bullet Time – uh, a lot of the modern fight choreography has gotten better probably because of Bruce Lee himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to see him in his prime with the modern cinematography and choreography. Um, and I bet it would blow away anything that we're yeah. seeing in fight scenes today. Absolutely. We, we would go John Wick who if, uh, if Bruce Lee <laughs> do some bullet time stuff. Hey, I John see Wick some, 4 trailer mm, looks good. Uh, I have not seen it. I'm going to have to, oh, no, I have seen it. It does look good. Uh, Fritz Lang. Uh, oh, wait, Fritz Lang is what you said. Hitchcock yeah. with a 4K camera. Uh, Absolutely. That's a answer. George uh, Lucas. George Lucas. Um, uh, I've, I forgot to check some of the chat for answers on the other questions. Yeah, on the uh, aha moment, Steve Carell as Mark Baum realizing the world economy is going to collapse. Yeah, to sweet yeah. child of mine. Yeah, that's what it, what is it? He's a uh, he's getting the dan- lap dance, or or the the he's in the private room where he would he would normally get a lap dance, and this girl's like, I've got like she says he's got like four houses or something. I don't know, some insane. Uh, thing and she come, he comes out. Uh, We're in a bubble. We're in a bubble. We're in a bubble. <laughs> um, uh, Polly says, "Once upon a time in the West, when uh, when we uh, realize that Sweet Top Water is a town, not a ranch." Uh, Scott Pilgrim finds out when Ramona had a sexy phase. Yep, yep, yep. Um, <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise in the first Mission Impossible going around the restaurant. Yeah, that's a that's a really cool scene. Bow tie, yeah, seven o'clock. Um, and then uh, what was the other question we had? I don't I don't see any. I don't much think more. we got any chat answers on that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. As uh, as always, love that you guys came out today to watch us uh on a Tuesday. You want to do that out there? Listen listening to us we do this on tuesdays at 11 o'clock central time uh most of the time every day but uh that's going to do it for this episode next week's homework is dope 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 uh so uh anyway guys uh glad that you uh came out and uh watched us uh, glad glad that you're listening out there if you don't watch us that's fine too uh we will uh see you next time i guess all right goodbye see everybody ya. bye
part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the Cinemasins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or Cinemasins Twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. What's up? Yo. Yo. Oh, you sound echoey. <clears throat> huh? You sound like it's using the wrong mic or something. God damn it. Yeah, that's much better. Motherfuckers. Motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Tried to, tried to do you in. Mm-hmm. I turned on the TV this morning, and the very first thing that was on, was on one of the movie channels, was Rudy. Oh, yeah. Man, I don't like that movie. You don't like Rudy? I think Rudy is, I mean... It's fine. It's harmless. It's not mm-hmm. terrible. It's mm-hmm. just a sugar bomb. Like, yeah, it's like a dessert that you eat that's way too rich. Mm-hmm. It's like that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Sean Astin is just so fucking earnest, and it's not even, it's not even bad acting. It's just, I don't know, man. It's, well, and it, it's lost a little luster too because of what Joe Montana said about that oh it, that yeah that time where he's like i mean like, i mean it didn't really happen like that you know <laughs> yeah you know well isn't the mark Wahlberg um football movie isn't no, that Invincible? similar i think yeah so. isn't that similar and that he didn't quite make the big tackle that yeah, he does in the movie. I think so. I think I think they always like they these stories are never good enough unless they've actually like accomplished one thing. You know, right. like they always have to like well, let, let's not change the story too much, but let's make it seem like he did at least one thing so that people are like, "Hey, he helped." The the interesting thing for me is is when you have actual games to look at and you still somehow change the order of things or you do mm. some weird moneyball does this like mm. like if you look at the actual games that they they play like who's up at bat at what time and so on and so forth they somehow flip these batters here and there and like i guess that's understandable but like it is a you are doing a chronological thing this can be looked up this isn't like you know something that you can just at least they didn't fudge the hattieberg home run no no the (laughs) the hattieberg home run is like pretty much dead on all the way to i actually saw a side by side Mm -hmm. uh, and it's clear that chris pratt like watched that video a whole bunch Mm -hmm. to get it down um that i would think that would not be as easy as normal stand in one place, you know, physical acting. Cause you got to run around the bases. You got to see what he's doing basically for mm-hmm. every step. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I love Moneyball. Yeah. Moneyball's great. I'm super into baseball now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cause I got the Orioles package. Mm-hmm. So I've been watching, I think I've seen part of every single game since I got the package. Mm-hmm. And I was nine years old, like the last time I watched baseball every day. Oh, wow. And I, I'm. I have forgotten how much, uh, and it's stupid. I just I've been away from a regular baseball, but I do this with hockey. But how much you start to learn certain players' uh, strengths and weaknesses, and uh, you notice who's on certain streaks and who's playing hot and who's mm-hmm. playing cold, and rather than 
like last year, I think there were two Orioles games on television, like the whole season that I managed to see. And I didn't know who anybody was. Uh, I mean, I knew who a couple of the main players were, but anyway, I'm enjoying it. I'm becoming a baseball nerd. My wife thinks it's uh, hilarious and uh, healthy for my brain. So (laughs) hopefully it's at least one of those things. Just wait until you start spouting out advanced stats and stuff like that. And you're like, see, now I think I may be too old take on these new stats like the war and the F war and the R war. And the, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what any of that means. Yeah. Um, I haven't, um, <clears throat> I haven't like gone deep down into, uh, into it myself so that I can figure out a lot of these things. But I know that when I see a certain score next to a certain stat, that what it usually means like if it's if that's good or if that's bad or whatever so a lot of it a lot of it is based in not only what you actually do but what normally should happen in a in a like when you hit a ball super hard you're supposed to, you're supposed to get a hit a certain amount of times and whatever mm. it so it so it shows a lot of times like you might be you might hit the ball 27 times in a row that like to the warning track or like somebody made some diving catch or whatever like that. And you'll go over 27 and people are like, man, that guy's slumping, but he, you're hitting the ball every single time. Super hard. Mm. It just happens to be in where somebody catches it. And those advanced stats, a lot of times tell you that, no, this guy isn't terrible. He is getting extraordinarily bad luck a lot of times. Right. Or right. Or yeah. it'll show when someone's getting extraordinarily good luck, like, you know, you barely tapping it and, you know, the fielder didn't make a play. It just happened to drop in front of somebody. All those things too. Those things start coming into play. So uh Interesting. That, that's what I like about those kind of things. Um because a lot of times we will look at raw average and raw, um, you know, these raw production numbers that a lot of times they don't have much control over uh, what's going on out there. And, and uh, it gives you a better picture of where somebody is. I think they did that. I think the Braves kind of did this with Jorge Soler last year, um, was having a fairly bad season but like started to pick it up a couple of weeks before he got traded to the Braves. And um, Braves were like, mm, maybe he's about to be awesome again. And so they got him and he was awesome again. And of course he <laughs> was the World Series MVP. So I'll never forget the first time I tried out for a golf team. Uh, I was a freshman and I'd never played a round of golf. I'd gone with my dad to the driving range a few times and I'd gone with my dad while he played golf and he would let me hit a few shots now and then. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know much at all. And I was one of the first people to tee off. That means there's 30 people behind me watching Mm -hmm. and the coach. Mm -hmm. And I topped my drive about 10 feet in front of the tee. And I was mortified. Mm -hmm. I also did not know you don't generally hit the driver again when there's no tee. I thought this is the longest club. I'm still really far away. And so I proceeded to hit driver in the grass 20 feet at a time (laughs) until I got onto the fairway. I shot like, I think, 80-something on nine holes. It was awful. I Mm -hmm. almost didn't go back the next day, but my dad convinced me to. And then, of course, I got better over time. Yeah. But 
that kind of first thing in front of a crowd pressure, I think anybody would have some jitters unless you're, you know, not human. I never understood the tryout process like in middle school when I tried out for sports. Um, I, I tried out for football in middle school because I'm big, right? So like I didn't, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't like well versed on what I was supposed to do. I'd not played any like football before this. So I'm sure that, I'm sure that came out while I was in tryouts and everything, but you would have thought that somebody, a coach, would have come up to me and said, man, I really want to have this big dude on my team somehow, some way. He would have, like, tried to do something with me. Right. But, like, these middle school tryouts, I mean, at least at my school, I don't know if it, how it works at other schools, but I think they just decided, like, all right, well, here are the people who are already on the team and they were on last year and whatever. And then here's some other people that came up in seventh grade and they might be good. You know, it's a tryout for like, what, three days or four days or whatever. I don't even know how you're supposed to assess this type of thing. Of course, right. they may only have that amount of time to try out. They may only be given that amount of time. So I don't know how they how they assessed it. Of course, I didn't make the middle school football team, but I always just like later on in life, I was like, why didn't some coach come to me and say, "Okay, look, you're not good. You're probably not going to make it in this grade, but man, if you did some this and that and whatever, you might be able to make it in eighth grade." And yeah. and 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 you would think, you know, I'm at the time in seventh grade, I was like five foot eight or something like that, and wow. like. I, I, you, I was a big dude so i'm like yeah. why do you not want to have this on here the same thing the same thing I tried out for basketball i don't know what i did wrong did not i mean i, I played a, quite a bit more basketball not not organized but a, quite a bit more basketball than football and i was i was going through there i was like hit making shots i was doing all sorts of stuff and blah 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 and I'm like nope you're not you know, I made the first cut, didn't make the second cut. So I was like, oh. you don't want this tall person on your team. Okay, I got you. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. <clears throat> no, if I was the coach, I would have I would have I would have worked with you. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.